Welcome back to another episode of Simply Unprofessional. I'm your host, Webby. Joining me tonight, we got Rob. Hey, guys, it's Rob. And we got Donnie. Hello. And we have Apple again. Hey, guys, it's Apple. And you guys probably all heard Matilda barking during the intro music because she I didn't doesn't hear it. give a fuck. I heard it. I I heard her barking, and then I saw my microphone little thing jump up every time she barked. So I'm just assuming that the <laughs> listeners will hear it now. Well, what I mean, the what better sound could they hear? <laughs> True. I mean, what's better than hearing Tilly? Listen, I have told that melty bitch time and time again she could talk to the outro, not the intro. <laughs> well, she's singing along. Oh, she's not that happy. <laughs> All right, so this week, everybody, we're going to be talking, we're going to continue our ranking systems of these D&D subclasses. Um, we've been on quite the D&D kick, though I do have two movies for us to watch at some point now. Um, but this week, we're going to be talking about the homebrewed class called the Blood Hunter, made by Matt Mercer. Um, Who's that? Sarcasm. Listen here. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, weren't we supposed to do an episode on the Adam Project? Is wasn't that a request? That was that was one of the requests. Yep. Uh, okay. uh Then Pastor's another one that I re- that I want to do. I was gonna say I doubt anyone requested that. <laughs> uh, that's just that's just me. Uh, yeah. Oh God, damn uh, the Velocipaster. The Adam Project was requested, which me and Rob sat down and watched, and I liked it. I thought it was good. So, uh, I got a random chunk on my. Anyway, Blood Hunter, folks. I got to write down these on my note cards. I'm very old school. Sorry. I should have done this beforehand. Devin's been putting them all into his computer, so he has them in like a Word document. Blood Hunter. So while I'm writing this down, why don't we start off like we do every class, and Rob, you can say, uh, you can tell all the people all the stuff that the Blood Hunter as a class gets. Okay. So, just being a Blood Hunter, you get a D10 hit die. Uh, you get proficiency in light armor, medium armor, and shields, simple weapons, and martial weapons, alchemist supplies, and for saving throws, you get dexterity and intelligence. Uh, skills, you get to choose three from acrobatics, arcana, athletics, history, insight, investigation, religion, and survival. Uh, at first level, you get an ability called Hunter's Bane. Uh, you have survived the Hunter's Bane, a dangerous long-guarded ritual that alters your life's blood, forever binding you to the darkness and honing your senses against it. Uh, I should explain before I go on that the Blood Hunter class is basically 
a class that was created. You're basically like a monster hunter who has taken on curses and uh, uses blood magic to fight monsters. <clears throat> so anyway, back to this. Uh, the Hunter's Bane is a dangerous long guard ritual that alters your life blood forever, binding you to the darkness and honing your senses against it. You have advantage on survival checks to track fey, fiends, or undead, as well as on intelligence checks to recall information about such creatures. The Hunter's Bane also empowers your body to control and shape hemocraft magic, using your own blood and life essence to fuel your abilities. Some of your features require your target to make a saving throw to resist the feature's effects. This DC is calculated as follows. 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your Hemocraft modifier. Your choice between intelligence or wisdom. At first level, you also get Blood Maledict. You gain the ability to channel or sometimes sacrifice a part of your vital essence to curse and manipulate creatures through Hemocraft magic. Uh, you know, one blood curse of your choice detailed in the blood curses section at the end of this class description. You learn one additional blood curse of your choice at 6th, 10th, 14th, and 18th level. Each time you learn a new blood curse, you can also choose one of the blood curses you already know and replace it with another blood curse. Each time you use blood maledict feature, you choose which curse to invoke from your curses you know. While invoking a blood curse, but before it affects the target, you can choose to amplify the curse by taking necrotic damage equal to one roll of your Hemocraft die. This damage can't be reduced in any way. An Amplified Cursed gains an additional effect noted in the curse's description. Creatures that do not have blood are immune to blood curses unless you have amplified the curse. Once you use this feature, you must finish a short or long rest before you can use it again. You can use Blood Maledict twice between rests starting at 6th level, 3 times starting at 13th level, and 4 times starting at 17th level. At second level, you choose a fighting style. Uh, you adopt a fighting style that is your specialty. Choose one of the following options. You can't take a fighting style option more than once, even if you later get to choose again. Uh, so you get uh, some of uh, most of these are the same ones that you get fighter, but you get less choices. Uh, so you can do archery. You gain a plus two attack bonus uh, to attack rolls you make with ranged weapons. Dueling, when you are wielding a melee weapon in one hand and no other weapons, you gain a plus two bonus to damage rolls with that weapon. Great Weapon Fighter, when you roll a one or a two on damage die for an attack you make with a melee weapon that you are wielding with two hands, you can re-roll the die and must use the new roll. The weapon must have a two-handed or versatile property for you to gain this benefit. Or two-weapon fighting, when you gain a two-weapon fighting, you can add your ability modifier to the damage of the second attack. Also at second level, you gain a Crimson Right. You learn to invoke the right of Hemocraft and infuse your weapon strikes with elemental energy. As a bonus action, you can activate any right you know on the one weapon you're holding. The effect of the right lasts until you finish a short or long rest. When you activate a right, you take necrotic damage equal to one of your Hemocraft's die. This damage can't be reduced in any way. While the right is in effect, attacks you make with this weapon are magical and deal extra damage equal to your Hemocraft die of one type uh, <coughs> determined by the right chosen. The weapon can hold only one active right at a time. Other creatures can't gain the benefit of your rights. You choose one right from the Crimson Rights below when you gain this feature. You learn an additional right at 7th and again at 14th. Uh, so you can pick the right of the flame. It does extra fire damage. The right of the frozen does cold damage. The right of the storm does lightning damage. Uh, and then it's at you have to have 14th level to pick one of these other three. Uh, right of the dead. Deals necrotic damage, right of the oracle deals psychic damage, and right of the war deals thunder damage. <clears throat> At third level, you choose a blood hunter order. 
which are what we're going to be ranking today. Uh, order of the Ghost Slater, or Lycan, Order of the Mutant, or Order of the Profane Soul. Uh, you get ability score improvements at 4th level, 8th level, 12th, 16th, and 19th. At 5th level, you gain extra attack. At 6th level, you gain a brand of castigation. When you damage a creature with a weapon for the first time, uh, uh, sorry, no, when you damage a creature with a weapon for which you have activated one of your Crimson Rites, you can channel Hemocraft Magic to sear an arcane brand into that creature. No action required. You always know the direction your branded creature is in, as long as it's this on the same plane as you. Furthermore, each time the branded creature deals damage to you or a creature you can see within five feet of you, the branded creature takes psychic damage equal to your hemograft modifier, minimum of one. Uh, your brand lasts until you dismiss it or until you use its feature to apply a brand to another creature. Your brand can be dispelled with dispel magic and is treated as a spell with a level equal to half your blood hunter level. Once you use this feature, you cannot use it again until you finish a short or long rest. At ninth level, you gain Grim Psychometry. <clears throat> uh, psycho... Psycho... Yes. Psychometry. Psychometry. <clears throat> At ninth level, you gain the supernatural talent for discerning the secrets surrounding mysterious relics or places touched by evil. Whenever you make a history check to recall information about a sinister or tragic history of an object you are touching or your current location, you have advantage on that check. At the DM's discretion, a suitably high roll might cause your character to experience brief visions of the past connected to the object or location. At 10th level, you get Dark Augmentation. Magic of Human Crafts secures your body and permanently reinforces your resilience. Your speed increases by 5 feet, and you have a bonus to Strength, Dexterity, and Constitution saving throws equal to your Hemocraft modifier. Minimum of 1. At 13th level, you gain Brand of Tethering. The psychic damage from your brand of castigation increases to twice your hemocraft mod modifier, minimum of two. Additionally, a branded creature can't take the dash, ac dash action, and if it attempts to teleport or leave its current plane by any means, it takes 46 psychic damage and must make a wisdom saving throw. On a failure, the attempt to teleport or leave the plane fails. At 14th level, you gain Hardened Soul. You have advantage on saving throws against being charmed and frightened. And at 20th, you gain Sanguine Mastery. Upon reaching 20th level, your mastery of blood magic reaches its height, mitigating your sacrifice and empowering your experience. Once per turn, whenever a Blood Hunter feature requires you to roll a Hemocraft die, you can re-roll the die and use either roll. Additionally, whenever you score a critical hit with a weapon for which you have a Crimson Rite active, you gain one expended use of your Blood Maledict feature. Uh, and the Blood Curses you can choose... Um, <clears throat> at the as at the different levels that we covered. Uh, Blood Curse of the Anxious. As a bonus action, you harry the body and mind of a creature with 30 feet of you, making them susceptible to forced influence. Forceful influence. At the end of your turn, intimidation checks made against a creature have advantage. If you amplify that with your blood magic, the next wisdom saving throw the creature makes before the curse ends has disadvantage. Uh, Blood Curse of Binding. As a bonus action, you attempt to bind a large or smaller creature within that you can see within 30 feet of you, which must make a strength saving throw. On a failure, the cursed creature's speed is reduced to zero, and it can't use reactions until the end of its next turn. If you amplify it with your blood magic, this curse lasts for one minute and can affect any creature regardless of size. The cursed creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of it, each of its turn, expending the curse on itself on a success. Blood Curse of Bloated Agony. The bonus action you create, you curse a creature that you can see within 30 feet, causing the body to swell, 
until the end of the next turn. For the duration, the creature has disadvantage on strength checks and dexterity checks and takes 1d8 necrotic damage if it makes more than one attack during its turn. You can amplify this with blood magic. The curse lasts for one minute. The cursed creature can make a constitution saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the curse on its success. Blood curse of co coercion. A uh, corrosion. Sorry. Uh, as a bonus action, you cause a creature within 30 feet of you to become poisoned. The cursed creature can make a constitution saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the curse on its success. Amplified with blood magic, the curse creates. Uh, the cursed creature takes 46 necrotic damage when you inflict this curse. And it takes the damage again each time it fails its constitution saving throw to end the curse. Jeez. Uh, that is, it has a 15th level prerequisite, I should say. Uh, Blood Curse of the Exorcist, which is also 15th level, and you have to be Order of the Ghost Slayer. Uh, oh, and that previous one, you had to be Order of the Mutant. <laughs> uh, prerequisite, 15th level, Order of the Ghost Slayer. As a bonus action, you can choose one creature you can see within 30 feet of you that is charmed or frightened which is under a possession effect. The creature is no longer charmed, frightened, or possessed. If you amplify it with blood magic, the creature that charmed, frightened, or possessed the target of your curse takes 3d6 psychic damage and must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or become stunned until the end of your next turn. Blood Curse of Exposure. When a creature you can see within 30 feet of you takes damage from an attack or spell, you can use your reaction to temporarily weaken its resilience. Till the end of the target's next turn, it loses resistance to all damage types dealt by the triggering attack or spell including for the triggering effects. I can amplify this with blood magic. Target is instead loses invulnerability to those damage types of the triggering attack and spell, but has resistance to those damage types until the end of its next turn. Blood Curse of the Eyeless. When a creature you can see within 30 feet of you makes an attack roll, you can use your reaction. Roll one Hemocraft die and subtract that number rolled from the creature's attack roll. You can choose to use this feature after a creature's roll, but before the DM determines whether the attack hits or misses. The creature is immune to this curse if it is immune to the blind condition. Amplify it with blood magic. You apply this curse to all creatures' attack rolls, all the creatures' attack rolls, until the end of that creature's turn. You roll separately for each affected attack. Blood Curse of the Fallen Puppet, which is my favorite that I used on Brenna twice, I think. Uh, when a creature you can see within 30 feet of you drops zero hit points, you can use your reaction to instill that creature with one final act of aggression. The creature immediately makes one weapon attack against the target of its choice within range. If you amplify it with blood magic, you can first cause the cursed creature to move up to half its speed, and you grant a bonus to the attack roll equal to your Hemocraft modifier minimum of one. Uh, blood Curse of the Howl, prerequisite 18th level Order of the Lycan. As an action, you unleash a blood-curdling howl. Each creature within 30 feet of you that can hear you must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or become frightened of you until the end of your next turn. Creature fails its throw by more than five. It is stunned while frightened in this way. A creature that succeeds on a saving throw is immune to the blood curse for the next 24 hours. Uh, you can choose any number of creatures you can see to be unaffected by the howl. To amplify it with blood magic, the range of this curse increases to 60 feet instead of 30. Uh, blood curse of the marks. As a bonus action, you mark a creature that you can see within 30 feet of you. Until the end of your turn, whenever you hit this cursed creature with a weapon for which you have an active Crimson Rite, you roll an additional Hemocraft die when determining the extra damage from the right. Uh, amplified with Blood Magic, the next attack roll you make against the target before the end of your turn has advantage. Uh, blood Curse of the Muddled Mind. As a bonus action, you curse a creature that you can see within 30 feet of you that is concentrating on a spell or using a feature that requires concentration. 
That creature has disadvantage on the next constitution saving throw it makes to maintain a concentration before the end of your next turn. Amplified with blood magic, the cursed creature has disadvantages on, on all constitution saving throws made to maintain concentration until the end of your next turn. And finally, Blood Curse of the Soul Eater, prerequisite 18th level Order of the Profane Soul. When a creature that isn't a construct or undead is reduced to zero hit points within 30 feet of you, you can use your reaction to offer their life energy to your patron in exchange for power. Until the end of your next turn, you make attacks with advantage, and you have resistance to all damage. Amplified with Blood Magic. Additionally, you regain an expended Warlock spell slot. Once you amplify this Blood Curse, you must finish a long rest before you can amplify it again. Alrighty. I will say oh. some of these some of these abilities, not necessarily the blood curses themselves, but like uh oh which one was it? The the brand of tethering that you read for thirteenth level? Mm-hmm. That's crazy because like it's what is it, an action to do that? Uh it's uh, I don't think it takes an action. You have to hit them with your weapon, and then you can brand them. Oh, yeah, and it has to have a, a, a Crimson Rite active. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I love the fact that it does the 4d6 damage, and then they have to make the Wisdom save, which this this class seems like it has ways of forcing disadvantage, like you, one of your blood curses can force disadvantage on Wisdom saves. And uh, if they fail, it's just like, well, that teleport just doesn't work. You know, the the enemy who's trying to plane shift away from the party just can't plane shift now. Yeah, I mean, thematically, it's very works because it's supposed to be their monster hunter. It's like right. you can't let the monster get away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tilly's been jumping at the door. Nonsense. I told you. I mean, she lasted longer than five minutes, at least. Alright, so we're going to go into the orders of the Blood Hunters, starting with the Order of the Ghost Slayer. Uh, Donnie, why don't you read the first one? If you were there. And not muted. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot I was muted. You're good. Um, just the mechanic parts? Are we reading? Yeah, you don't have to read the beginning snippet thing. Okay. Order of Ghost Slayer. Rite of the Dawn. When you join this order at third level, you learn the Rite of the Dawn as part of your Crimson Rite feature. When you activate the Rite of the Dawn, the extra damage dealt by your Rite is Radiant Damage. Additionally, while that Rite is active on your weapon, you gain the following benefits. Your weapon sheds bright light out to a range of 20 feet. You have resistance to necrotic damage. When you hit an undead creature with a weapon for which the Rite of Dawn is active, you roll an additional Hemocraft die when determining the extra damage for this Rite. Uh, also at third level, Curse Specialist. You learn to master blood curses. Uh, you gain an additional use of your Blood Maledict feature. In addition, your blood curses can target any creature whether it has blood or not. Uh, Aetherwalk, I think that's how you would pronounce that, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. Aether. Aether, yeah, that. Uh, upon reaching 7th level, at the start of your turn, you can magically step into the veil between the planes as long as you aren't incapacitated. 
You can move through other creatures and objects as if they were dif- as if they were difficult terrain, as well as see and affect creatures and objects on the ethereal plane. Uh, you take 1d10 force damage if you end your turn inside an object. This feature lasts for a number of rounds equal to your Hemocraft modifier, minimum of one round. If you are inside an object when it ends, you are immediately shunted to the nearest unoccupied space and you take force damage equal to twice the number of feet you moved. Ooh. Uh, Once you use this feature, you must finish a short or long rest before you can use it again. You can use either walk twice between rests starting at 15th level. Uh, Yeah, I like it. Uh, Brand of Sundering. Starting at 11th level, your brand of castigation exposes a fragment of your foe's essence, leaving them vulnerable to your Crimson Rite feature. Whenever you hit a creature with a weapon for which you have an action... With a weapon for which you have an action... Active. Oh, an active. I, mean, I was misreading it. I had a smudge on my screen. Oops. An active Crimson Rite, you roll an additional Hemocraft die when determining the extra damage from the right. Additionally, if a branded creature has the incorporeal movement trait... Or a similar feature, it can't move through creatures or objects while branded. That's also very cool. Uh, Next one is Blood Curse of the Exorcist. At 15th level, you hone your Hemocraft to tear corruption from the minds and bodies of your allies and to punish those responsible for it. You gain the Blood Curse of the Exorcist for your Blood Maledict feature. This doesn't count against your number of Blood Curses known. You make everyone puke pea soup. Oh my god. My whole stomach just turned. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> Muted, Rob. I said, yeah, I already went over Blood Curse of the Exorcist. It was in the list of uh, the Blood Rites. Gotcha. Uh, well, you get that at 15th level. Uh, and then the last one is Rite Revival. Upon reaching 18th level, you learn to protect your fading life by reabsorbing the energy you feed to your weapons. If you have one or more Crimson Rites active and you are reduced to zero hit points but don't die outright, you can choose to have all of your active Crimson Rites in and drop to one hit point instead. Hmm. Alright. I I definitely think I like this as a class and I like this as a subclass for it. It is definitely situational i feel oh yeah uh i mean it's right there in the name this is you know this this subclass would be awesome like in the last couple fights that we've had in our games like when you guys were fighting on the lake and you had to fight all the ghosts that were possessing people and things like that yeah this would have been awesome against those um not saying that they wouldn't do good against you know, your general, your normal enemies, like kobolds, goblins, orcs, whatever. But they do seem to have a little bit more of a... A niche? niche. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, Apple? I mean, I kind of agree with you. It doesn't seem, like, overpowered. I don't know, it doesn't seem crazy. It seems, like, perfectly normal, but with a slight niche. Like, are we ranking it right now, or? Yep. I mean, I don't know, like, like a B plus, like it's perfectly fine. I think, like, it doesn't seem like bad. It just doesn't seem like, oh my god, you know? Okay. 
Donnie, what about you? What are your what are your thoughts and grading on this? I'm gonna go with a B. And I'm gonna say that some of that is just because I like thematically just like this class, period. I'm not super impressed, not disappointed mechanically. Okay. Again, is it is it because it's 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 that niche. It it falls under a very specific Yeah. Category. It's very neat. Yeah, yeah. I think I can when see it's that. needed, it's really good. I, I, I could definitely see like so if if a DM is sitting down saying, "Okay, hey, I'm going to run you guys <laughs> through, you know, the Curse of Strahd campaign, the module." I could see someone wanting to roll up one of these. Oh hell yeah! You know, um, like especially if you have a heads up from your DM, like, "Oh yeah, there's you know." the first arc or whatever, it's going to be very undead heavy or, you know, this is kind of the overarching story. And then you guys can make your characters. I I think with pre-warning this, this class as a whole could be phenomenal. Um, But without any type of warning as to what you're walking into, eh, again, I think, I, I think it falls a little short in my opinion. Um, Rob, what about you? Uh, I would also give it a B, just because it would be super great against ghosts, but some of the abilities are kind of lackluster if they're against other things. Right. Because <clears throat> uh, the incorporeal movement stopping, and then the exorcist ability to un, un uh, to get people unpossessed, it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, you can use that if creatures are frightened or charmed too, but like it's met, it's basically meant for ghost fighting. So if you don't run into a lot of ghosts, it's not yeah. as <laughs> effective as it could be. Yeah. <clears throat> Born and raised in Ghost Tide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I'm also gonna go with a B. Only because I think I, I really enjoy this subclass and this class as a whole on a thematic scale. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think it, it, it's a bit too specific for a broad, broad range game. Um, so yeah, what's the average? On? It's going to be a B average. Just a B. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rob, you can read us, uh, Order of the Lycans, since you've played one. Okay. Uh, so, basically, the Order of the Lycan, you're cursed with lycanthropy. Um, I mean, I went with, with the typical werewolf, but you you could be a, a werebear, or like a were-tiger, a were-boar, a were-rat are the ones that they give, but you could be a were-anything, really. Um, but you get the same abilities, no matter what type of were-creature you choose to be. Uh, so at third level, you get heightened senses. When you choose an archetype at third level, you gain the improved senses of a natural predator. You have advantage on wisdom uh, perception checks that rely on hearing and smell. You also get hybrid transformation. At third level, you learn to control the lyc- lycanthropic curse that courses through your veins. As a bonus action, you can transform into a special hybrid form for up to one hour. You can speak, use equipment, wear armor while in this form, and you can revert to your normal form as a bonus action. You automatically revert to your normal form if you fall unconscious or die. This feature replaces the rules for Lycanthropy in the Master Manual, obviously. 
because uh, those are very different. <laughs> Once you use this feature, you must finish a short or long rest before you can use it again. Uh, so hybrid transformation features. While you are transformed, you gain the following benefits and drawbacks. Feral Might, you have advantage on strength checks and strength saving throws. You have a plus one bonus to melee damage rolls as bonus increases to plus two at 11th level and plus three at 18th level. Resilient Hide, you have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical attacks not made with silvered weapons. Additionally, you are, when you are not wearing heavy armor, you have a plus one bonus to AC. Predatory Strikes. You can apply the Crimson Right feature to your unarmed strikes, which you treat as one weapon. You can use Dexterity instead of Strength for those attacks and damage rolls of your unarmed strikes, which deal 1d6 bludgeoning or slashing damage of your choice. This damage increases to 1d8 at 11th level. Additionally, when you use the attack action to make unarmed strikes, you can make one additional unarmed strike as a bonus action. <clears throat> Bloodlust. If you start your turn with fewer hit points than half your, your hit point maximum, you must succeed on a DC-8 Wisdom saving throw or move directly to the nearest creature and use the attack action against that creature. If you're concentrating on a spell or on the effect that prevents you from concentrating, such as the Barbarian's Rage feature, you automatically fail this saving throw. If you have ex the extra attack feature, you can choose whether to use it for this frenzied attack. If more than one creature is equally near you, roll randomly to determine your target. Once your attack is resolved, you regain control of your senses. At 7th level, you gain Stalker's Prowess. Your speed increases by 10 feet, and you, gain, and you add 10 feet to your long jump distance and 3 feet to your high jump distance. Your hybrid form also gains the following additional benefit. Improved Predatory Strike, you have a plus 1 bonus to attack rolls made with your unarmed strikes. This bonus increases to 2 at 11th level and 3 at 18th level. Additionally, when you have an active Crimson Right on your unarmed strike, while you are in hybrid form, your unarmed strikes are considered magical for the purposes of overcoming resistance to immunity and non-magical attacks. <clears throat> Advanced Transformation. At 11th level, you learn to unleash and control more of the beast within. You can use your hybrid transformation feature twice, regaining all expended uses when you finish a short or long rest. Your hybrid form also gains the following benefit, like and regeneration. At the start of each of your returns, when you have at least one hit point, but fewer than half your hit points maximum, you regain hit points equal to one plus your constitution modifier, minimum of one. If you are in hybrid form, you gain these hit points before... Uh, you regain these hit points before you must make your saving throw for Bloodlust. Uh, 15th level, you gain Brand of the Voracious. At starting at uh, 15th level, you have advantage on saving throws for your Bloodlust while you are in hybrid form. Additionally, your Brand of Castigation can now bind a foe to your Hunter's Ferocity. While in your blood hybrid form, you have advantage on attack rolls against the creature you have branded. <clears throat> uh, 18th level, Hybrid Transformation Mastery. If you have mastered your inner predator, you can use the hybrid transformation feature an unlimited number of times, and your hybrid form lasts until you revert to your normal form, fall unconscious, or die. You also gain the blood curse of the howl of the blood maledict feature. This doesn't count against your number of blood curses known. So, I like how at the beginning, under the hybrid transformation features, it says you gain the following benefits and drawbacks, and there's only one drawback. Yeah. It's not even that difficult of a blood. It's an eight. eight. It's a DC eight, <laughs> and then further down, you get advantage on that as well. Yeah, I feel like there should be additional drawbacks somewhere. Uh, well, I mean, let's start with you, Rob. You've played this class. What are your thoughts on it? I would give this an S. I mean, you saw how I messed up your crack. <laughs> With this, 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> because you get you get to do the basically you have arm strikes like a freaking monk that also do extra damage from your crimson rites, and then if you castigate something, it takes damage if it attacks you back, and you get advantage on it. It's, it, it and then you also have uh, you have regeneration, you have protection from piercing, slashing, <laughs> bludgeoning. It's like. I don't know. I, I feel like this is an S tier. It's a little OP. I mean, I really like it, but I feel it is OP. Alright, so Rob's giving it an S. Let's go with Donnie. Mr. Mute. Sorry. 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 Dog gets loud, I mute, then forget that I'm muted. Uh, I'm going to give it an A. Okay. Thoughts on it? Uh, I like it. I like the theme a lot, and I think it, it kind of sticks to the point with the mechanics as well. All right. Apple? I think I'm also inclined to give it an A. Like, despite, you know, because I've never seen a Blood Hunter in action, so I feel like I don't have the point of reference. But I do feel like any... Or, at least a lot of classes you can like in subclasses you can really make do a lot of damage if you get lucky like whenever lotus did like literally knocked that guy out on the bar fight like in one fucking shot because yeah. they did like 78 damage like it just happens sometimes i didn't feel like it felt too overpowered actually i feel like it takes a while and i know it's a subclass but like i was kind of comparing it to like monk stuff because that's like one of my main points of reference at the moment and i feel like it takes a while to get some of your like attacks to be just a little bit stronger like you get a plus two at 11th level and then a plus three at 18th and it takes a long time to get to 18th level like i'm not at 18th level yet like so it feels like it feels like they're perfectly fine attacks but it feels like it take like they're stuck at, at like a point for a while so i don't think they seem now, crazy keep it well, I mean, that's that that's just a plus one bonus and a plus two bonus at 11th level yeah. so if you had like, like a, it... if you had a plus two weapon then yeah, but that's for your level. You're getting a plus four. I thought it was for like your unarmed strike, though. Not like so you don't have a yeah. So like the improved predatory strike, you have plus one bonus to attack rolls made with your unarmed strike. You can't like, you don't just that's, get bonuses to your unarmed strike, that's right? If you're doing predatory strikes, the feral might uh -huh. is giving you the plus one, the plus the bonus to the melee damage rolls. So that could be just a sword, any any <laughs> melee weapon. Okay. But, I mean, it is just a bonus to the straight up damage aspect of it, whereas like right. like a plus two weapon would give you a bonus to the the hit the attack roll with the hit yeah yeah but. so it's giving it so basically like if you activate a crimson right on whatever like say it's a plus two weapon you're you're at eleventh level you're getting a plus two from that so that's plus four damage plus you get to roll your hemocraft die which at eleventh level is an extra d eight plus whatever mm -hmm. regular weapon damage it's doing is. <laughs> And then if many... it attacks you back, you also do damage to it. It's just I don't know. I don't I don't recall how many of the crimson rights you get. So like at eleventh level, how many would you have? Well, it's you activate it on your weapons, and then you it just uh -huh. stays there. I think it's like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Is it like a once per day kind of thing? I'm assuming. I think you could do it twice per day. I'm sure, I could find it too if I needed to. Um...
Future weapon strikes with elemental energy. As a bonus action, you activate the right you know on a weapon you're holding. The effect lasts until you finish a short or long rest. So it just stays oh, active geez. until you rest. But okay. then you get to choose, like, basically you get to choose three. So you could do either, like, I chose fire, I chose frozen, or storm. No, I chose frozen, I chose storm, and oracle. So I could choose between, oh, do I want to do cold damage today? Do I want to do lightning? Or do I want to do psychic? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it just stays until you take a rest. <clears throat> but you get to roll extra damage of that type, whatever your Hemocraft die is. I think at the time I was, like, 12th level? Or 13, mm-hmm. somewhere around. Whatever we were for the distractions game. So I get to roll an extra D8 of, like, psychic damage on top of regular damage, plus the extra damage from the the transformation into the, the werewolf, and then you get to do an extra attack if you're just using your unarmed strikes, which your unarmed strikes also do a D8 of damage, so... Yeah, I mean, definitely has a, a good damage output, I'll say. Um, so the crim- so the Crimson Rite at, sorry, my brain is, like, slow this evening. So, like, you would do your unarmed strike with 1d6, and then you would get to roll another 1d something of whatever you had applied to it? Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so with that, are you still sticking with the A? Yeah, maybe an A plus. Okay. A plus. Uh, gee, for me. Because, like, I will say, because, sorry, your unarmed strikes aren't magical until 7th level. I think that's what it was. So, like, depending on your. I feel like I had issues with, like, unarmed. Like, I haven't used any of my characters who have had claws, which is, like, most of them, which is. Not weird, that's just my choice. <laughs> I tend to never use their other <clears throat> strikes after, like, th- like fourth or fifth level, sometimes ever, just because it's, like, always so much weaker than my weapon is. But, yeah, the but magical like, part. If you're, if you're ever put into that situation where it's, like, you know, you were arrested and your weapons were taken mm-hmm. from you, then you at least have... You have something. Weapons. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's <laughs> Oh, yeah. I like that it's an option. But I was like, that was like my first thought at first whenever I didn't quite understand the Crimson Right. I was like, man, like, I feel like I would never use the unarmed strike just because I haven't on most of my characters that have a decent unarmed strike. Right. That isn't like just your fists. But um, that's interesting. I'm also going to give this one an A. Uh, I have seen this one play. Mm-hmm. And... I do think it's a little on the broken side as far as just the way it is. Again, I feel like maybe there should be at least one or two more drawbacks for going into your your lichen form um, instead of just one, and it's a super easy drawback to overcome. <laughs> uh, Plus, if you're if you're fighting. Uh, melee, you're most likely going to end up bloodlusting on the thing you're fighting anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the only drawback is, like, if your party members are near you and they're all on the same distance, then you have that random chance of, like, hitting yeah. them yeah. instead. Um, I'm not sure as to what other drawbacks they could have added, but I, I definitely feel like there should be one. Um, so it's, it's almost the way they worded it, it almost seems like they intended there to be. Right, like, yeah. I thought there was going to be more, and then I was like, wait, these all seem positive. Yeah, like, they, like they, they, they wrote it in a plural sense, but there's only one drawback. Yeah. Instead, they should have just been like, yo, have all these benefits and this one drawback. That probably will never affect you. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, so that one overall, I think I, I I gave it an A for its overall grade because there was an S, an A, an A, and an A plus. Is that the average? I I don't know how to do averages. S A A and A plus would probably be an A plus. Would be the closest, yeah. Well, it's getting an A plus then. Busted ass fucking class. Busted ass. Um. All right, Apple, do you want Mutant or Profane Soul? Do you want to be last or do you want to be not last? Sure, I'll go last, so you can do Mutant. Okay, I could have been last, I don't care. All right, have we been reading the little splash text or not? I didn't think so. All right, so, when you choose this archetype at third level, you get Mutagen Craft. Uh, You learn to master forbidden alchemical formulas known as Mutagens, that can temporarily alter your mental and physical abilities. Oh, as a bonus action, you can <laughs> as a bonus action you can consume a mutagen whose effects and side effects last until you finish a short or long rest, unless otherwise specified. While one or more mutagens are affecting <clears throat> you, you can choose an a- to use an action to focus and flush all mutagens from your system, ending their effects and side effects. Mutagens are designed for the specific biology of the character who concocted them, and your mutagens have no effects on other creatures. They are also unstable by nature, losing their potency over time and becoming inert if not used before you finish your next short or long rest. So, at third level, you can create one, but you know up to four formulas. Seventh, it ups to two that you can create, and you know five. Eleventh, you can still create two, but you know six. 15th, it bumps up to 3, but you know 7, and at 18th, you still can create 3, but now you know 8 formulas. The formula is the number of mutagens you can concoct when you finish a rest, and the number of formulas you know increases as you gain levels in your Bloodhunter class, as shown on the table above that I just verbally said. Additionally, when you learn a new mutagen formula, you can replace one formula you already knew with a new one. You can choose four formulas to learn from the options detailed at the end of the subclass description, and you can concoct one mutagen when you finish a short or long rest. When you reach 7th level, you get strange metabolism. Your body begins to adapt to toxins and venoms, ignoring their corrupting effects. You gain immunity to poison damage and the poisoned condition. Additionally, you can trigger a burst of adrenaline that lets you temporarily resist the negative effect of a mutagen. As a bonus action, you can ignore the negative side effect of one mutagen affecting you for one minute. Once you do so, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest. At 11th level, you get Brand of Axiom. Your mutagenic hemocraft lets you let your brand of castigation reveal a foe's true nature. Any illusion or invisibility in effect on a creature when your brand in when you brand it ends, and the creature can't benefit from invisibility or illusion effects while branded by you. If a creature branded by you is in an alternative form, like polymorph, you know, cha- change shape or the wild shape feature, etc., it must succeed on a wisdom save throw or revert to its true form and be stunned until the end of your next turn. Whenever a branded creature attempts to alter its form, it must succeed on a wiz saving throw or have the attempt fail and it's stunned until the end of your next turn again. <laughs> Oh man! Starting at fifty. This is a lot. Imagine you guys like. <laughs> imagine you guys like brand Chandra. Just you know. Oh my whatever, god! And she fails her save, and just boom! All of a sudden, ancient green dragon right. in the middle of mid gulch. There's no. Ugh. That's like. I'll I'll share my thoughts for the end. Uh, Starting at 15th level, you get Blood Curse of Corrosion. Your Blood Curse can infuse a creature's body with terrible toxins. You gain the Blood Curse of Corrosion for your Blood Maledict feature. This doesn't count against your number of Blood Curses. No. 
Um, and then at 18th level, you get ex exalted mutation. Your body has adapted to produce mutagens naturally in a moment of need. As a bonus action, choose one mutagen currently affecting you. Its effects, so instead of an action, which was the previous one, its effect and side effects end, and you can immediately have a mutagen you know the formula for take its place. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your Hemocraft modifier, which is a minimum of one, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So there's a lot of mutagens here. <laughs> I'll like kind of briefly talk about them. So let's see. The mutagens are part of your hemocraft are presented in alphabetical order. You can learn a mutagen at the same time that you meet its prerequisites. So some of them have a prerequisite of like 11th level. There's one that has one at 7th level, but the rest of them seem to be default. So Aether, for example, is 11th level. You get a flying speed of 20 feet for an hour, but you get disadvantage on strength checks and dex checks. Uh, there's one called Alluring that makes your skin and voice become malleable, allowing you to enhance your appearance and presence. You have advantage on charisma checks, however, you have disadvantage on initiative rolls. Um, should I read all of these? I could. Yeah. Alright, so the next one is Clarity. Your deck score increases by three, as does your maximum for that score. However, you have disadvantage on Wisdom saving throws, and your deck score and max maximum increase by four if you consume it at 11th level and by five at 18th level. Jesus Christ, Webby, imagine... And this isn't, a, like, if you had a five already in dex, you could increase it by five. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Um, conservant, you have advantage on intelligence checks, however well, you have disadvantage on wisdom checks. Sorry, go ahead. It, it's your score that increases, not your... Yeah, bonus. true. So even if you had, like, a That's 20 still like, So it could be 23, 25. it would still only be... Yeah, well, 25, Yeah. <laughs> It's the 25 that's like, wow, in my opinion. That's like, I don't know, that's a lot. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Cruelty has a prerequisite of 11th level, so you can't get this one before then. When you use the attack action, you can make one additional weapon attack as a bonus action. However, you have disadvantage on intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws. That's uh, mm -hmm. The next one is deftness, deftness. You have advantage on dex checks, however, you have disadvantage on wisdom. Next one is embers. You have resistance to fire damage and vulnerability to cold damage. And then the opposite, which is Apgelid, you have resistance to cold damage and vulnerability to fire damage. Then you have impermeable. You have resistance to piercing damage and vulnerability to slashing. Mobility. You have immunity to the grappled and restrained conditions. However, you have a disadvantage on strength checks. At 11th level, you are also immune to the paralyzed condition. Um, night eye, you have dark vision of a range of 60 feet. If you already have dark vision, its range increases by 60 feet. However, you have disadvantage on attack rolls and perception checks that rely on sight when you, the target of your attack, or whatever you're trying to perceive is in direct sunlight. That's kind of cool. Um, percipient, you have advantage on a wisdom checks, but disadvantage on charisma. Potency, your strength score increases by three, as does your maximum for that score. However, you have disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. Your strength score and maximum increase by four, if at 11th, and by five at 18th. Precision, which is a prereq of 11th level. Your weapon attacks score a critical hit on a roll of 19 or 20. However, you have disadvantage on strength saving throws. Rapidity, you have a speed increases by 10 feet. However, you have disadvantage on intelligence checks. And at 15th level, your speed increases by an additional five for a total of 15. Reconstruction, which has a prereq of 7th. For one hour at the start of each of your turns, you have at least one hit point, but fewer hit points than half your hit point maximum? Oh. Oh. I'm confused. Between, oh, you regain like, hit one points. And a half. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as you have at least one hit point, but no more than half your hit points, you regain HP equal to your proficiency bonus. However, your speed is reduced by 10 feet during this time. It's like... 
sagacity. Your I, intelligence I'm not going to lie. I, I read that as Sega City. I, I, Saga City was a close <laughs> choice, but I just knew it wasn't that. Your intelligence score increases by three, as does your max for that score. However, you have disadvantage on charisma. Your intelligence score and your max increased by four, if at 11th, and five at 18th. Shielded, you have resistance to slashing damage, but have vulnerability to bludgeoning. Unbreakable, you have resistance to bludgeoning, but you have vulnerability to piercing. Vermilion, you gain an additional use of your blood maledict feature. However, you have disadvantage on death saving throws. So, at first, this one seemed like it had a lot, because, like, the fact that, like... At 7th level, you're immune to poison. Like, that seemed like a lot. But, like, I like I like the downsides of the mutagens. I like that you have to think about the pro and the con. Like, that yeah. just... So this I is like, like the, oh, you gain benefits and disadvantages. Yeah, like, this is the no properly single disadvantage of weapon. <laughs> versus, <laughs> three, you get three pros and one con versus this one, which is, like, a pro and a con. Also, I was thinking... <laughs> For Lycan, because it lets you choose between intelligence or wisdom as your hemocraft ability. So if you choose wisdom, uh-huh. the DC is only eight. So say you, you rolled high <laughs> and you got a plus five to your your wisdom. Uh-huh. And then you choose human where you get a feat and you can choose to get that uh ten uh hardy or tenacious or whatever it is where it gives you an extra mm-hmm. uh uh ability <sighs> score uh that you're proficient in an extra saving throw you're proficient in you choose wisdom so at first level if you had a five wisdom and the two so it's it would be plus six or no it would be plus seven so even if you rolled a one you get an eight which beats the freaking dc for your frenzy so you would never even frenzy from level one if it's a crit one would it still fail crit ones only count in if you beat the the dc even with a crit one it still counts it's only uh It's only attacks where they always miss or always hit. And this you know, that DC of 8 was really low. Like, I feel like... (laughs) It's probably the exact reason why they don't allow you to multi-class into other subclasses of the same class. Yep. But, uh, yeah, like, I I kind of think... This is just going back to (laughs) Lycan. I'm thinking it's more broken as we talk about it more. (laughs) Um... (laughs) That, like, uh, maybe the DC should have, like, the DC should have increased as you got higher level. Because if it stays at an 8 the whole time, even by, like, like that's, like, a really easy DC. Just every level you get higher, like, potentially. Like, I don't know. It just seems that way. You know, I would have even done something like make the the base DC 8, but then give it a plus 1 to the DC for each creature within, like, 30 feet of you. Ooh, yeah. So the more people around you, the more bloodthirsty you are. You know? Yeah. Okay, but <laughs> order the mutant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to this, and there's a lot of downsides, but, I mean, one of the things that you read before the mutagens allows you to mm-hmm. ignore the the downsides to them for up to a minute, which generally is, like, like the length the of whole combat. fight. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty much the length of combat. Um, man, I mean, that's a lot of options, though, to... Mm-hmm to use plus at seventh level you can only have two of those active at a time which is like that's still a lot and you can only so keep in mind for people listening in case you're also ranking this in your head you can also only know five of these so it's kind of like you know these are all your spells but you can only know five of them (laughs) like you can't know all of these at once right um 
Well, at, yeah, the at, fact at, that you can ignore even, the negative side effect. Sorry, go you ahead. You could eventually know eight at your max yeah. level. But. Mm -hmm. yeah. <clears throat> and, how, and there's more. There's one, two, three. 11, 12, 13, and you 14, can 15, 16, only 17. have up to three affecting you at a time, no matter how many you know. Yep, and there's 20 total. Well, the only thing that stinks is like, and this is how I just feel as like a, there was another race that I felt, or there was another thing I think I felt this way about that was like a subclass or something, but like the fact that when you reach 18th level, it's kind of implied, at least from way, the way I understand things, that you can no longer change those out. Because you've reached your last like level cap. Because it's like, oh, when you level up and yeah. no more, you can swap it. But like, nope, now you're stuck with those eight. So you'd have to like really think about which eight you want. <laughs> yeah, but also by the time you're 18th level and you've played around with this class enough, you probably know exactly which ones you want. True. You know, depending on how your play style. Like if you're playing a very like strength or dex based character you probably aren't gonna want the one that gives you intelligence uh mm -hmm. although you might who knows but all right so let's start with you apple you read it what do you think about this class or this subclass i should say and what is your score for it i mean it feels pretty like tough i guess or like like not tough in a way like tough that it is a tough person and this is just like from like we were talking recently about like uh i was like hey have there been any super broken homebrews you've seen before and you were like i wouldn't give immunity to a player like that early on yeah and like so that like stuck with me like at seventh level you're immune to poison so like imagine you're going to fight a fucking black dragon like huh <laughs> wait that's acid isn't it is that poison or acid a black dragon is yeah acid Ah, damn it. Green dragon? Poison. There we go. <laughs> I tried. Um, and the fact that as a bonus action, you can get rid of that negative side effect. So, like, you're like, oh, you can just, like, fucking increase your dex score by five for the duration of the battle. And maybe that's what your weapons are based on. <laughs> and you can just ignore the fact that you have disadvantage on wisdom saving throws. Like, I think it's, I think it's, I'll say S minus. <laughs> okay. I don't know, it seems kind of, in the way that you can uh, just, like, fucking, like, stamp someone and be like, oh, you can't turn invisible, oh, you can't polymorph, oh, you can't wild shape, oh. <laughs> and then they're stunned. I don't know, that just seems... So you think this, nice. this subclass is more powerful than the Lycan one? I kind of want to change my Lycan score, that's the problem, I so mean, maybe I'll just can. say Ape. <laughs> if you want, I feel you like... change your Lycan score. <laughs> uh, I feel like... <laughs> I kind of feel like Lycan's S tier now. <laughs> Alright. Just, just a regular S? Yeah. <laughs> like, this one doesn't feel as broken as Lycan, but it feels... if I, Maybe... I don't know, it just feels powerful to me. Well, what does an SSAA give me for an average? S minus? A plus? S minus A plus. A plus plus? S minus minus? S minus minus. <laughs> all right so you're giving this one an s minus yes uh let's go with donnie what's your thoughts on this one um starting to see a theme that these are just all around strong no matter the subclass but i'm gonna say this right? is like a high a. Right, s so to me just has to be something broken i don't think it's broken i just think it's really strong that's fair Eight that's totally fair you. does that sound right a plus 
Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, Rob, what about you? Uh, I will also give it an A plus um, because, oh, for one thing, yeah, an immunity to a damage type that early is is somewhat broken, especially since poison is one of the most common. Yeah, that's a good one to have. Damages, uh, but uh, and the fact that you can enjoy it, uh, remove the negative side of the effects for one minute, but you could still be affected by that, like out of combat or just before combat begins. So. Mm-hmm. I'll give it a, an A+. Plus. I'm leaning towards S-2, but I'll give it A+. Plus. Now, <laughs> the removal of the negative side effects, that's only of one of the ones affecting you, correct? That's what it says, yeah. And how many can you have affecting you at a time? At my uh, 15th level, you can have three. Yeah, in the middle, that's it's three. one at third level, 7th to 11th, uh, 7 to 15th, it's two. All right, and so then 15th like if, if to you took one, third. and then you drank another one, it doesn't overwrite the first one. They just stack. Once you have the ability to do more than one, yeah, because yeah. you can take it. You can use an action to fully get rid of a mutagen, and then later you can do it as a bonus action, and then immediately gain a new one. Um, but yeah, you, uh, so the mutagens created is like how many you can have active in you at a time. Yeah. See, I'm I'm gonna give it. I think I'm going to give it an A. It is very strong. The fact that you can shut down the drawbacks of one of these mutagens for up to a minute, like we said, and that's that's mainly a combat, you know, um, situation because very rarely do combats last ten rounds. Um, but like some of these mutagens, the drawbacks seem more severe than the benefit um, mainly like you're gaining resistance to a slashing damage but then you have vulnerability to bludgeoning damage okay so you're gaining resistance so you're taking half damage from slashing attacks which is fine if you're fighting stuff that has slashing attacks but now bludgeoning damage you're taking double damage from anything that has bludgeoning damage so like if you're fighting a dragon you know, its claws do slashing attacks, but its tail does bludgeoning attacks. So, I, I don't know. Like, when you start getting into, like, giving yourselves a vulnerability in damage types, that can get sketchy. Um, especially if you don't necessarily know what you're about to fight, or if there are, like, hidden enemies and stuff. So, if I were to do, like the removal of a negative side effect, it would be probably for one of those types of aspects, um, which then kind of throws you under the bus if you're going to go with like, oh, well, I'm going to increase my deck score by three, but then I have disadvantage on all wisdom saves. So I do think it is somewhat balanced, but some of those negative side effects, I think, are just uh, pretty rough. I'll say. So I'm going to give it a regular A. Which I think still evens out to be an A plus. Yes. Damn. So far, I mean, we've gotten technically two A pluses and a B out of the four mm-hmm. orders that we're going to be reading through today. <laughs> yeah. Like this I is very <laughs> Yeah. 
I will say the second you started reading that one, Apple, it just reminded me of The Witcher. That's all I've been thinking the whole time. I'm yeah. like, which one's which? Oh, this one? Okay, that's the fighter. This one over here, that's the the one that drinks the potions. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> all right, so lastly, we have Order of the Profane Soul. Uh, otherworldly patron, when you reach third level, you strike a bargain with an other otherworldly being of your choice. The Archfey, the Fiend, or the Great Old One, detailed in the Player's Handbook. The Undying, from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. The Celestial or Hexblade from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. The Fathomless or the Genie from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Or the Undead from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Uh, you, the choice you make augments some of your subclass features as noted below. So this is just a... Why did I make myself read this one? I'm getting, I'm getting. <laughs> I was unhinged. It. I'm getting unhinged now. This is the Blood Hunter. This is the Blood uh, Hunter Warlock. Warlock. <laughs> I hate it. At least it's not literally taking you know two levels into Warlock. You just are a Warlock. This is a lot to read. Have fun. Packed magic. At third level, you augment your combat techniques with the ability to cast spells. Uh. See chapter 10 in the player's handbook for the general rules of spellcasting. Okay, cantrips. You learn two cantrips of your choice from the Warlock spell list, i.e. Eldritch Blast and Eldritch Blast. Uh, You you learn an additional Warlock cantrip of your choice at 10th level. Eldritch Blast. That's all you need. That's literally anything ever. Uh, Spell slots... The Profane Soul spellcasting table shows how many spell slots you have. The table also shows what level of those slot, what level of those slots is. I don't like the way that that was typed. Table, but mine says the table also shows what the level of those slots is. As yeah, well. I don't know what make, you're... Yeah, it it just didn't make sense in my head. I guess. <laughs> Uh, all of your spell slots are the same level. To cast one of your Warlock spells of first level or higher, you must expend a spell slot. You regain all expended spell slots when you finish a short or long rest. Um, spells known of first... This is all spell casting stuff, which you can read in the PHP. You're essentially mm-hmm. just a Warlock spellcaster. Uh, yeah, it's exactly like a Warlock spellcaster. You get two slots... Uh, the, this only goes up to level 4, whereas regular Warlocks can go up to level 5. But that's basically the big difference. Yeah. Uh, so we'll skip over that table. Uh, let's go to right focus, starting at 3rd level. Your weapon becomes a conduit for the power of your pact with your chosen patron. While you have an action, while you have an active Crimson Rite, you can use your weapon as a spellcasting focus for your Warlock spells, and you gain a specific benefit based on your chosen pact. Uh, the Archfey, when you damage a creature with a weapon for which you have an active Crimson Rite, the creature glows with faint light until the end of your next turn. For the duration, the creature gains no benefit from co- any cover or from being invisible. So it's like a half-assed fairy fire. <laughs> Uh, the Celestial has a bonus action. You expend one use of your Blood Maledict feature to heal one creature you can see within 60 feet of you. The creature regains a number of hit points equal to one roll of your Hemocraft die plus your Hemocraft modifier, minimum of plus one. <clears throat> so that's like a possibly amplified healing word. 
the fathomless you can breathe underwater i wish it just ended there i just <laughs> I, <laughs> you can also speak to fish okay you're aquaman uh the fathomless you can breathe underwater additionally once per turn when you damage a creature with a weapon for which you have an active crimson right you can reduce that creature's speed by 10 feet until the start of your next turn uh, the fiend, while using the right of the flame, if you roll a one or two on the damage die, when you roll the extra damage from the right, you can re-roll the die and choose which roll to use. The genie, as a bonus action, you expend a use of your blood maledict feature to give yourself a flying speed of 30 feet, which lasts for a number of rounds equal to your hemocraft modifier, minimum of one round. The Great Old One. When you score a critical hit against a creature, that creature and any other creature of your choice within 10 feet of it are frightened of you until the end of your next turn. Wow, there's not even a save in that one. Uh, the Hexblade. When you successfully target a creature with a blood curse, the next time you hit that creature with an attack while the curse is in effect, the attack deals additional damage equal to your proficiency modifier. The undead. When you take when you take necrotic damage, you can use your reaction to have that damage. In addition, your appearance changes to reflect some aspect of your patron while you have any crimson right active. Uh, and the undying, when you reduce a hostile creature of at least mild threat to the DM's discretion to zero hit points, you regain a number of hit points equal to one roll of your Hemocraft die. I love how they had to start putting in that. Like, you have to, when you kill a creature of a, at least mild threats, because you know some asshat out there was like, I kill a squirrel. Yeah, yep. that's what I was thinking. You know, oh, there's a rabbit here? I killed this rabbit. <clears throat> um, Mystic Frenzy, starting at 7th level, when you use your action to cast a cantrip, Eldritch Blast, you can immediately make one weapon attack as a bonus action. Uh... Revealed Arcana at 7th level, your patron grants you the use of a distinctive spell based on your pact. You cast this spell using any pact magic spell slot. You can't do so again until you finish a long rest. The Archfey, you learn Blur. The Celestial, Lesser Restoration. The Fathomless, Gust of Wind. The Fiend, Scorching Ray. The Genie, Phantasmal Force. The Great Old One, Detect Thoughts. The Hexblade, Branding Smite. The Undead, Blindness Deafness. And the Undying, Silence. Oy, oy, oy. Uh, the brand of the Sapper Scar? Sapping Scar. Upon reaching 11th level, your brand of castigation feature digs dark arcane scars into your target, leaving them vulnerable to your magic. A creature branded by you has disadvantage on saving throws against your warlock spells. Unsealed Arcana. At 15th level, your patron grants you the use of an additional spell based on your pact. You cast this spell without expending a spell slot. You can't do so again until you finish a long rest. Archfey, you can cast Slow. The Celestial, Revivify. The Fathomless, Lightning Bolt. The Fiend, Fireball. The Genie, Protection from Energy. The Great Old One, Haste. The Hexblade, Blink. The Undead, Speak with Dead. And the Undying, Bestow Curse. 
And then lastly, Blood Curse of the Soul Eater. Starting at 18th level, you learn to siphon the life energy from fallen prey. You gain the Blood Curse of the Soul Eater for your Blood Maledict feature. This doesn't count against your number of Blood Curses known. This literally is just, hey, you wanted to play uh, Warlock, but... You chose Bloodhunter. <laughs> You're like, man, I don't want people to laugh at me for choosing Warlock. I'm going to choose Bloodhunter and then choose Order of the Profane Soul. Johnny, uh, Apple, have you ever played a Warlock? No? You've... No. Okay. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was about to say, you've been in every game I've ever played yeah, in. I know. I had Technically, I've played in one game without you, so... Yeah, I had to think about it. Uh, I also don't remember what you played in, in Lex's Halloween thing. No, I know. We played a different set. We didn't play five like D and D. We played like something else, and I was like a basically a firebender. Gotcha. Uh, Rob, have you played a warlock? I have not. And Donnie, you have. Yes, and I love it. Now, Donnie, I've never even played a wizard. Guys, that's a whole separate problem between you and Donnie. <laughs> yes, we'll talk about it. Uh, Donnie, yeah, having played a warlock. And me having read this <laughs> subclass for the Blood Hunter, what are some things that at least stand out to you in this subclass? Like, why uh, would you choose to be a Order of the Profane Soul Blood Hunter versus just being a warlock? Um, I mean, I guess you're kind of just adding the warlock class. To a blood hunter. I mean, right. it's what it kind of feels like. It's not. I mean, it's warlock light. We'll call it warlock light. I love warlock the spell light. list. <laughs> I love the spell list. Like all the spells on all these lists that they're getting, I'm I'm a fan of. I think it just makes a strong class stronger. I mean, I don't think it hurts it at all. Yeah, I mean, I think the appeal would be because of the Bloodhunter's normal abilities that you wouldn't get as a normal Warlock. Yeah. So you that... get to be a Warlock, True. plus you get, like, all the blood curses and the blood magic along with the, that come with the, the Bloodhunter. Uh, what was the Soul Eater one? I can't remember what that focus was. Look it up real quick. Oh, Soul Eater. When a creature that isn't a construct or undead is reduced to zero hit points within 30 feet of you, can use your reaction to offer their life energy to their patron in exchange for power. Until the end of your next turn, you make attacks with advantage and have resistance to all damage. Oh, that, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. <laughs> and then with the Amplified by Blood Magic, you regain it an expended warlock spell slot. So I mean, I feel like that's good for any type of warlock. Mm -hmm. I mean, they already get theirs back on a short rest anyway, but <clears throat> they get so limited number of them. Yeah, yeah. Anything that gives you an extra spell. And like I do slot, like how I mean. the spell specific ones. Um. At least for your unsealed arcana at fifteenth level, 
they allow you one use per long rest of that particular spell without using a spell slot. So that's kind of neat. I don't know. I'm not... I, I, I don't want this to sound like it's my personal bias, but I don't I, I'm, I think this is going to be the lowest scored subclass, in my opinion. But let's get into that. Rob, what are your thoughts? I, I would say a B plus. The reason is because this is basically like, uh, I'm tired of regular Warlock, I want Warlock with more blood curses, basically. Okay. Uh, Apple, what about you? I think it's like an, I don't know, like an A-. minus. Like, it seems, it gives you some, like, cool, because the, the Blood Hunter has some innate spell abilities already, right? Not really. I, I mean, the, if you mean the curses, yeah. I mean, those are technically like spells. Right. <clears throat> so, I mean, it gives you a little bit of... It's like a... Instead of having to take, like, a feat to learn some magic, you get your subclass to let you learn, like, some additional magic. Well, I think that's pretty cool, but I don't think it makes it, like, any sort of, like, broken, because, like... I don't know, it doesn't seem like that. It, it adds some fun stuff, but... I don't know, it seems fine. <laughs> it okay. seems good, but not, like, crazy. So, yeah, I... Minus from you? Yeah. It feels almost like they're like, oh, most other uh, classes with their subclasses have some kind of spell casting, uh, like the the arcane trickster and the 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 arcane knight or whatever. It's like let's give the blood hunter one where they can actually get spell slots, but what works good with it? Oh, warlock. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Uh, what works good with everything? Warlock. That's why Webby hates it. That's exactly what. Triggered me at the beginning of this. <laughs> uh, all right, Donnie, what's your grade on this one? A minus. God damn. Uh, I mean, like, you got a strong baseline. Adding spellcasting to it can only make it better, and I like the spell list. Now remember, Webby, this isn't multi-classing into warlocks. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 really trying to this is, to keep them separated in my mind. This is like them discovering peanut butter and jelly. Like, what if you yeah. also you picked this and then you also multiclassed into warlock? Like, what would happen? I don't think I don't think there's a point at that point. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's why I'm confused. It's, I think it said something about that at the top. Hold there's on, a multiclassing see. section. I don't know if there's anything that multiclassing with warlock. If your blood hunter is part of the order of the profane soul and also has warlock levels, add one third of your blood hunter levels rounded down to your warlock level and consult the warlock progression table in the player's handbook for total spell slots, cantrips known, and spell slot level. You should consider aligning your otherworldly patron feature between both classes, but your DM mate allow you to have a different patron at their discretion. Imagine having two different opposing. Yeah, I was gonna say, patrons. dude. Imagine having like your blood hunter is an archfey patron, but then your one, you know, your couple level dip into warlock. You take like the genie. It's like, well, hmm. I don't know. See, that just uh, as a DM, I I cringe at the thought of that. I don't know. Ah, I hate everything about this subclass. 
it is solid as a subclass mechanically. Thematically, I suppose it fits. I'm going to have to give this one a split grade as far as what I... What I'm actually going to grade it and what I want to grade it, uh, I'm going to give it a B plus. I don't think it's as good as the other subclasses that we've read about so far. Actually, you know, I'm going to give it a B. I'm going to tie it with the Ghost Hunter one. Um, As a DM and as me personally, I want to give it an F. I do. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't I don't like it I don't like it and if any of you guys ever play in another game and you make one of these and I DM for you you're going to have a real rough time I'm going to make your life live in hell you might not survive to see these high level aspect powers or whatever ah, all right a minus, A minus, a B plus, and a B. Probably A minus still. Or B plus. Uh, it'd be in between, really. So you could go with A minus since there were two of them. Alright, A minus. <clears throat> uh, you know what, Apple? I think maybe Spectre needs some levels in Warlock. No, Spectre Everybody doesn't like magic. <laughs> Everybody needs no. Well, Spectre's not interested in magic. <laughs> Maybe we can convince Liz to take it. You knew Spectre wasn't interested in magic. This is not a new development. <laughs> well, you're still my new favorite character now. Maybe I can convince Liz to take some little <laughs> She's it's... already a multi-class sorcerer <laughs> wizard. Yeah, and then she also needs Bard and Warlock, and then she'll have the... Queen that doesn't sound like a great name. And Druid and Cleric. <laughs> <laughs> There's a thematic reason why Liz went I think she only went two levels into wizard. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It was she went the or she went the uh, the special school. I want it. Oh, I think it's evocation. I don't remember now. It's the one where she can pretty much fireball and say that she doesn't want to hit her allies. Yeah. So it'll it'll hit everything in that twenty foot raid range except for. The people she does. The meta mag- The you talking about the meta magic? No, it's a wizard thing. It's one of the wizard one of the schools. wizard schools. Oh. Ab- maybe it's abjuration. I don't remember. But she 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 essentially gets to shape her spells so she can avoid hitting allies. <clears throat> all right. Well, I mean, we've that's all of the subclasses uh, based off of this list. Order of the Lycans, the most powerful. Um, followed closely by Order of the Mutant, and then apparently Order of the Profane Soul, and then Order of the Ghost Hunter was last, with a B. A B was the the, the lowest we could get was a B. Really? <laughs> uh, <coughs> fighter. We had a D. Uh, well, Druid did pretty good. Druid, the uh, lowest, was also a B minus. Uh, and then Monk. Uh, D plus. And yeah. That's it. All right. 
fucking blood hunters. <laughs> You're just angry because there was a warlock in there. I am. I'm angry because there was one with a warlock, and then you and played you, you played a lichen, and you pretty much one shot my kraken. <laughs> Actually, you made it with a kraken, pretty much killed itself. Yeah, because it, it it's you and anyone within five feet, and we were like I was in between, so every yeah. time you attacked anybody, you got damaged. <laughs> All right, so those were the orders of the Blood Hunters. Uh, we're at the hour and twenty marks, so we'll end it there. And you thought this was going to be tacked on to another? Yeah, episode. yeah. Well, I didn't realize that the last two of those. There was a lot of reading involved. I will say though, I I don't remember which one it was that I was in charge of reading last week, but I may have been on an edible gummy when I was reading oh, it and it literally felt like I was reading forever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know that feeling. I won't tell you it's from experience every time we do this, but well, man, I just, I, I remember reading Like I remember like stopping midway through and I'm like, huh, there's a lot of reading and I'm only like <laughs> two paragraphs down. <laughs> It's like oh I, when I was god. reading what they get for just being a blood hunter, I was like, oh my god, this so much stuff. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, Welcome to the episode of reading. This is an audiobook. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do we have a science corner with Rob this week? Uh, yeah. Uh, I read an article about a theoretical engine that they just uh, are investigating that could potentially. Accelerate a ship to 99% the speed of light without any propeller. Wait, what? Hyper, Rob. Yeah, technically. Uh, Basically, almost the speed of light, which is a speed we have not been able to achieve yet. Yeah, it's called the helical engine. It's it's only theoretical currently, but it uses... uh, Because... As you approach the speed of light, the mass of something increases as it approaches that speed. So they're basically, the engine would use that change in mass to propel itself really, really fast up to, and then continue to, to do it. The only thing, the only prohibitive things about it is one, well, it, it still needs to be, like, it's just theoretical, like, mathematicians and stuff still need to, like, check it out and work on it. But uh, it would need an incredible amount of energy to get it started which is kind of prohibitive and it also would need to be very large so wait is this that slingshot thing that i just read about uh not a slingshot it's basically like a it almost looks like a an a coil but it's like solid like each coil loop is solid yeah and then they have like the rocket ship or whatever inside going around in circles a bunch well not the rocket ship but yeah <laughs> the uh the propulsion, which uh, would be... Uh, what was it? And then they just fucking shoot it into the atmosphere to save on fuel costs. I don't think... That doesn't sound like what Rob was describing. Oh. I'm going to have uh, to look into this then. I, wanna, I'm yeah, sure I mean, it, it, it's, it works by electromagnets. It's basically... like a, It causes... It does electromagnetic magnets and causes... Um, Particle, the particle, I don't remember what the particles are called, but it causes them to spin inside the engine. Particle accelerator. And it, this like, the faster they go, the, the faster the ship will go. But then as the ship starts to travel, 
its mass sh changes as it gets faster. So then they're using that change to like make it continue to go faster and faster and faster until it can get almost up to the speed of light. So if it's, I put down notes if the if we could get it working, people could get from Earth to the Moon in one point three seconds. Jesus. Uh, from Earth to Mars in twelve point five minutes, and from Earth to Neptune in four hours. Question. Mm -hmm. How in the world can a human being survive that? Yeah, I don't. That's the when... that's part of the science they have to figure out. They have to figure out like if you watch Star Trek, which sorry, I went to a Star Trek like science night at my local science center and a scientist was there and he was talking about how a lot of like developments we've made has come from science fiction because a nerd scientist went i want to make that real and then they did so like it's gonna take us a while to figure it out but the theory would be some sort of like ability to hold humans it's like how figuring out like a, a gravity chamber where people can actually use gravity in space because right now we just like float around so like it'd probably come in part with that as a way to like stabilize humans as the jump happens like but i don't think it'd work at the moment like you would just get obliterated yeah, yeah. just the sheer g-force on all, yeah i mean you see the way that they shake around on the enterprise whenever they're in the <laughs> yeah all right um, yeah, but you know, hyperdrives from Star Wars, if anybody was wondering, or yeah. you know, particle accelerators from the Flash, or flux yeah, so it says flux capacitors, or the warp core, yeah. a warp core from, from Star Trek. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we just uh, throw out all the fandoms here. <laughs> so it says specifically the engine accelerates ions confined in a loop to moderate relativistic speeds and then varies their velocity to make slight changes to their mass. The engine then moves the ions back and forth along the direction of travel to produce thrust. So that's why it wouldn't take any fuel. <clears throat> huh. But in order to get it going, you have to generate 1.65 megawatts of energy to produce one newton of thrust to get it started. So like, basically, you'd have to have a power plant on uh, this engine just to get it going. Gigawatts. But once you got it going, <laughs> yeah. that's all you needed. Hmm. All right. So that's our science corner for the week, then. Yep. Uh, I have, let's see, Donnie, give me a number one through 25. I will do life advice with Webby since Devin's not here. 21. 21. When you quit, you fail. The surest way to lose at any endeavor is to quit. But fatigue, discomfort, and discouragement are merely symptoms of effort. There you go. Life advice with Devin minus Devin. You guys need an applause button. You need a sound effects board for yeah. <laughs> SU. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So with that being said, let's see. Did you just send me a thing about viruses causing the jackalope? That's <laughs> Who? Apple. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see, uh, Donnie, where can, no, you know what, I ask you this all the time, you always throw my name out there, so, you, no, you can't find Donnie anywhere on the internet. If you want to send, no, if you want to send Donnie any messages, message me, and I will relay the message for him. And <laughs> nah, it's going to be terribly messed anyway. up by the way he gets it, by the time he gets it, too, because it's going to be a whole game of telephone up in my noggin, and it's going to come out completely wrong when I tell Donnie. Yeah, everybody Wait. do that. If you want to find Donnie on Discord, it's dbroader21 hashtag 80, 8140. So there you go. Son of a friend request. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> oh, 
Here we go. Uh, all right, Apple, where can people find you on the internet if they want to reach out and say hi? Uh, Twitch.tv slash Apple Schloss. All right. And Rob, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at Confessor underscore X and on Twitch at Twitch.tv slash Confessor X. And as always, you guys can follow me on Twitter at JaxForestWalker, all one word, on Twitch at DMWebby, and on eBay at Looking for Devin because I miss him. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody, and fuck Booster Gold. FDG. So next Science Corner, we're going to talk about jackalopes, everybody. Pay yourselves. Uh, is that the, the rabbits with the antlers? Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling a little ripped off right now, guys. What? Feeling a little ripped off. Webby knows what he did to me just now. He knows. I'm not letting <laughs> you use my name underneath the b- throw me under the bus like that. No. Yeah, but you just told them to get a hold of you to get a hold of me, so why not yeah. just keep... Well, you know, <laughs> listen, I didn't think this through. That's what he does anyways. <laughs> don't touch me. <laughs> if you want to get a hold of him, you have to use Carrier Pigeon, and that's on you. Yep. <laughs>